If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place. But then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's spirit? Yeah, so the spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy, how so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right, wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up and God's spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. This story is saying that God's spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now, Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's spirit. And so today, the spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity, living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. Let me just begin this morning by saying thank you. Thank you. I sincerely wish that I could sing like Dave, 
that I could write these songs and draw and create. And I was even just thinking this morning, thank you again. I am not quite sure. I think it's Kate and Ken. It was uh, Ken who made coffee. For the coffee this morning. Thank you very, very much. I've been noticing that when I try to go back and get a second cup, it's gone. So uh, you're blessing a lot of people. Thank you. What I'm here for. Oh, you're here for much more than that. Thank you, sir. We uh, have been talking about the spirit. I'm going to take this off because I'm feeling warm. Forgive me. I hope you're all okay with uncomfortable silence. We've been talking about the spirit and. <clears throat> As I listened to the video and as I listened to Kate, as I listened to you guys this morning and what I hear God laying on my heart, I think is personally, I think it's profound and amazing. And, and I hope you do, too, as we uh, as we get into it. But these, this word spirit, this word ruach, which we saw in the video, I don't know about you, but. <clears throat> Throughout the scriptures, right, specifically the Old Testament, spirit, so spirit of God is just referred to as ruach, wind of God. All right, I kind of touched on this in the video, wind of God, breath of God. It's, 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 <clears throat> this is slightly, this is slightly, um, it's, this creates some slight dissonance in me. Because I like to think of the spirit or the Holy Spirit as <sighs> a little more complex, right? We talk about the Holy Spirit. We, we, we throw around the name, you know, the spirits, you know, Holy Spirit, we, we, we ask you to, to move in us. We, you know, and it's almost like we don't really know who we're talking to or what we're inviting or, or what we're doing. Now, some of us in this room are a little bit more, a little bit further along in our, in our spiritual journey. So, so we've come to a conclusion Right. But if you actually really think about it, I think we can kind of use this word, Holy Spirit or Spirit of God, and somehow not really understand and receive receive the deep indwelling of who he is. I mean, think about it when you pray. Right. And I'm just speaking my, for my own tradition growing up. When you begin, how do you open up? Our Father, dear Heavenly Father, right? When we teach our children, how do you pray? Dear Heavenly Father, our Father, right? Our Father, our Father who art in heaven. And how do you close? In Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, so, so have you ever noticed that we don't usually incorporate or pray to the Holy Spirit? No. It was years ago that this question was asked to me. And I just kind of recognized, and I was like, yeah, you know, perhaps, perhaps. Well, if it's three and one, aren't we? So, so, so what, I don't want to challenge the logistics of it. I want to challenge the presence of it. Right? We can go through the motions and, 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 and go through our prayers and, and, and say and speak. I'm not saying that if you don't mention the Holy Spirit that he's not in you. I'm certainly not saying that he's not involved in, in, in your words, in your relationship, in your life. I'm not saying this at all. What I'm simply wanting to point out and address is 
Sometimes we're not aware of the power of his presence. And, and this breath of God, wind of God, I mean, that just sounds right. When I speak to someone, I don't speak to the, I don't speak to the breath of Dwayne. You know, I don't address you as, as the wind of dawn. You know, and, and so I think portion of it's just kind of cultural, right? But it just seems like such a such an interesting introduction, the ruach of God, the breath of God, the, the, the spirit of God. And what I want to talk about this morning is I want to try to bring us to an understanding, a deeper understanding. Um, you, Dave. I'm like, you, your name. I don't remember your name. <laughs> Dave, I love how you said, may our souls, may our spirits be sticky. May our spirits be sticky for your word, for your spirit, for what you want to share with us. Because he, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit is essential if we're going to understand the power of God. I want to say that again. The presence of the Holy Spirit is essential if we're going to understand the power of God. And so even years ago when I began praying, you guys have, have watched me demonstrate this in front of you. You've watched me change, you know, the names of God as I'm praying. Right. Because I just want to declare and speak out the triune God. Right, so this wind of God, I want you to know that he's a person, separate and distinct in his characteristics, but the same God. It's actually the breath of the creator God, same as, as, as Christ, one God expressed, being expressed in three different ways. And, and sometimes I think because we don't really understand the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence, the wind of God, sometimes we go throughout our lives neglecting the wind that he's put in us. Because this is what I want to lead us towards today. Understanding that the breath of God, that when we receive the breath of God, when we receive through the work of Jesus Christ alone, the work of Jesus Christ as he went to the cross, as he received the nails in his hands and his feet, as his side was pierced, as he went to the grave, and as he rose again and came out on the other side, said to us very clearly that I'm going to send you a helper, that I, I have to leave so that this helper can come. And this helper, very simply declared, is the wind of God, the breath of God. When we look at the breath of God, it's most clearly demonstrated in Genesis 1, Genesis 2. The breath of God speaks and creates, but there's nothing more, I think, essential to our understanding and, and, and receiving of truth from God is to understand that it was actually God who actually breathed into Adam and Eve. The very breath of God was spoken and breathed into them, and that's what made them animated living beings. Have you ever created anything? I mean, maybe we, I know for those of you who have, have, have kids, 
right? So I assume they're back there right now doing some type of craft, right? Can you think of a time in your life that you created something that, that just made you so, you were so fond of it. You're so happy with it. So we, everything in our house, okay, truth be told, you might think we're pack rats, but we're not. We're creators of stories. Everything we create, we want to keep. To you, it might look like rubbish. To you, it might look like something outdated, unnecessary. But when you're a young child and you're a parent of that young child, we do crazy things like we put it on the refrigerator. We like save it. Right now, it's interesting because I don't think any of you are going to leave here today, walk out and, and, and see something in the gutter that you're going to pick up and go home and put on, hang on the refrigerator. I just don't think you're going to. There's always one. So maybe you will. But if you came into my house, perhaps look through a box. If what was sitting in that box was sitting on the street, you wouldn't pick it up. Because in your perception, it's of that same equal value, that same disconnect from what was created. But when we create something that has these stories, quite recently we've been working on these, uh, these Star Wars decals. And, and it's, they're kind of like stickers, but just really much more involved. They're, they're kind of like stickers, but you have to use water and then you have to peel off the back paper and you have to put them on these, these, these Lego type of figures and wipe them down and cut them out. It, it's, it, it's a whole event. It's, it's a whole, whole big deal. I'll, I'll tell you about it later. It's this whole thing. And, and they're extremely creative. They're, they're extremely fun to do together. And they're extremely easy to mess up. Very easy to mess up. And every time you can buy these things by the dozen. You can, you can, you know, they can be prototypes. And, to, you know, they're basically what we call like the toys and the, 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 the things, the Happy Meals from McDonald's, they're just throwaways, right? Which, by the way, we're kind of getting of age now. We, we don't get the Happy Meals anymore, but the Happy Meals are just throwaways. You know, hey, son, you know this is just a throwaway. Yeah, but I want to see what it is. Hey, a throwaway. How about that? <laughs> That's, like a candy. That's not a throwaway. <laughs> but you get my, you get my meaning. Right. And these things, we can't throw them away. Not only can we not throw them away, but if you, if, if you're, if I'm communicating well, it's like, it's like this, not only can we not throw them away, but we actually get upset when, when it gets spoiled. Do you hear how strange that is? So strange that, that you, tr you create something that to the rest of the world and even, you know, to the rest of the world has no value. And, and, but to you it does and you work at it and it's, it has no monetary value. It's, uh, you can't trade it for anything. It's not, right, and even if you sit it out in your home, it's not even like this great decorator piece. Really, it, it, the only value that it has is that you made it and you cared about it and you, and you wanted it and you're proud of it. And when... 
you mess up or, or, or you make that mistake or it breaks or it peels off. You see that extreme disappointment come over. You know in your mind that it, in theory it can be replaced, right? The, the object itself can be replaced. There's another one. But yet, see, there's this deep connection to it. Do you know, can you recall what it's like to care about what you create? That has that great story, that great meaning to you. Because the breath of God speaks into Adam and speaks into Eve and they become animated and they wake. And, and, and I believe that this moment, as we're going to see, has, is, is, is I, think it, I think it's such a grand moment that God hasn't stopped doing it since, since. Hasn't stopped doing it since. You know, I, I want to speak from a human perspective. Forgive me, I'm just going to imagine a little bit. God's creating, creates the world, creates the stars, creates heavens and the earth, water, animals, trees, vegetation, on and on and on. And then he creates Adam. He creates a person. And it's almost like, this is like this is this is the greatest. Have you ever created anything in your life that, that you finally created something you were just like, I'm done. I'm done. I, I can't top this. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna create anymore. I'm not saying that that's what God did. But what I am saying is that God created in such a fashion. That his creation never stopped because he passed his creativity to that which he created. <laughs> and when Adam, when he breathes in and this animation comes, all of a sudden there's, there's, there's eternity that once existed only in the triune God was now handed to the gift of his created. Scripture say in Ecclesiastes that, that eternity, we have eternity in our hearts. I can prove this to you really quite simply. I can prove it simply in the facts with this mere dissonance that you hold that death is real. Death is so difficult to understand, so difficult to embrace, so difficult because our souls reject it. Your soul rejects death. Your soul was created for life. And so in this moment when Adam and Eve are created, they wake and they start to govern in partnership with God this creation that he made. Genesis 3, this terrible thing happens, doesn't it? This, this, this created action figure, this created Lego, the decals came off. It's not what it was supposed to be. This isn't the outcome that, 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 that was intended. This eternity that God created for us to govern and partner in and be a part of. Now broke into time as we know it. Limited. With all kinds of 
pains and disappointments and loss and fear and anxiety and guilt and shame. It's like this decal which was perfectly placed. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we try to paste it back, it just doesn't go back the way it was supposed to. So God's plan from the very, very beginning, as we see in Genesis 3, was to fix it. Was to fix it. Now that means something to me because we have this saying in our house. Whenever we think something can't be done, my son has come to understand, well, they don't know my dad. Dad will fix it whenever we face obstacles and we get really, really frustrated. I say, I, I'll say to Kai, what do we say about dad? He's like, they don't know my dad. Why is that? Because you're not going to quit till you fix it, are you? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> now. That's out of my obsessive compulsive disorder. All right. I'm not declaring to you any measure of, of God's characteristics in me to do that. It's mostly obsessive compulsive. Or is it? Or is it? Or, or, or do we actually have such a compelling need to connect with that which is eternal, that which is perfect, that which is correct? See, I think we all do. I shared with you guys not long ago that I'm one of those individuals that when I was young, I really, really didn't understand this whole thing of having your cake and eating it too. I, I feel really disappointed in myself that I even have to explain it. I, I didn't get it. My parents would be like, you know, you, can, you can't have your cake and eat it too. What are you talking about? It's my cake. Now I'm going to eat it. I just had it. You know, yeah, that's exactly right. You can't have it and eat it too. I'm like, I don't understand. So they fed it to me and ate it, and it was gone, and I got it. I only got Really? That's what I'm saying, right? You can't have your cake and eat it too. Wait, if you have it, you need it. And so I'm the type of individual that I'm just going to get two cakes. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have one, and I'm going to eat one because I want both. I want my cake, and I want to eat it too. And I want to tell you that this is kind of that spirit thing in me. There is this peace in us that if you are just, just still yourself and just pause for a moment, you'll recognize that there is something terribly wrong in this world. There is something terribly wrong in your soul. That, that the simple fact that you have desires, the simple fact that the things that you want and that you crave just seem to keep falling through your hands like sand. It's because of Genesis 3. Okay, Genesis 3 is awful. But if you look at Genesis 3, it continues. It ends with God's promise to fix it. You don't know my God. He's going to fix it. You don't know my God. He's going to fix it. And I want to read to you this morning passages about the Spirit of God at work. Because his plan is going to be what it's always been. 
and it's going to be his presence. I'm going to begin in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Most of us are familiar with this story. It says this. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. This is my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The word spirit here is the same as ruach, except in the Greek, it's pneuma, and it's this wind. The wind of God came like a dove, hovered and touched down. And these words, this is my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. I have met with a lot of people over my several years of life. I've had a million conversations. And if I were to summarize them into one simple conversation, I think this is that conversation. We always have those questions and those concerns. How, what do I do with finances? What do I do with a relationship? What do I do with work? What do I do with a job? I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling shamed. I'm feeling, I'm feeling less. I'm feeling fill in the blank. But I think the real conversation is this. I don't know if I'm loved. Because I can't find anyone in my life that I believe is pleased with me. See, in this moment, I think it's so radical. Because this moment, it's, and, and, and that's, let me just be honest for a second. Jesus doesn't need this. Right? I mean, this, this is like this is like the wrong person winning the lottery. Right? It's like it's like it's like the billionaire winning winning the the, the lottery. So what? Who cares? Jesus knows who he is. He knows he's the Son of God. He knows he's sent right directly from the Father. He knows that he and the Father are one. Does he really need the spirit to come and tell him that he's loved and well-pleased? It's like, it's like the millionaire winning the lottery. Just seems ill-placed, so inappropriate. I, I need it. How about you? Right? I'm the one living month to month. I can really use to win the lottery. Right? I'm the one who doesn't know that I'm loved. I'm the one who doesn't know that God's pleased with me. Why does he, why does he get the voice? Seems so inappropriate, doesn't it? If you live a life of, of misperception and jealousy and misunderstanding, because this moment isn't for Jesus. This moment's for us. This moment is for us. He's declaring in this moment 
his complete intention from Genesis 3 and is taking place right now. Let me prove this to you. Or let me at least make the argument. Right? So, Luke, Justin, push back on me here. Luke is very, very methodical. All of the Gospels are not written in chronological order, but Luke is a very chronological writer. Correct? So when Luke is is writing, he's writing um, in a very linear fashion on purpose. So what follows this extraordinary moment? Holy Spirit coming down on Christ himself. Behold, right? My beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Luke seems to have a relapse in storytelling. I think Luke is... As a doctor and as a very methodical C personality, this is strange to me because if he's going to keep writing, this is like an elated moment. What's happened is time. It's time to get into the story. It's time to jump to chapter four, where where the temptation of Jesus begins, where it says in four, verse one. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit into in out into the wilderness. That's where the scripture is supposed to go. Luke is supposed to go right from chapter 3, verse 22, over to chapter 4. But for some reason, this very methodical writer, this historian, gets gets just led off course into this little rabbit trail. See, understanding Luke's personality, this is peculiar to me because it's unnecessary. Unless, of course, he's trying to prove a point. Let me read. This is Luke 3, 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 33 years of age. Being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jeni, the son of Joseph, the son. If, if you're going to take a nap, now's a good time. Okay, I'm going I'm to be here for a while. Just, just take a look. Take a look at the scriptures here from from 323 all the way to three. Is that 38? He just Luke just gets really, really distracted. Does anyone else find that perplexing? And now this now he's going to put in the genealogy of Jesus here. It's kind of like you're watching that movie, right? You're reading that story. This is an amazing moment. And the director just gets confused. Right? This is this is like awesome. I mean, you saw the dub. You saw this the voice of God. This, oh. And now we all fall asleep because the director is now just walking in circles, telling us all this stuff that appears to be nonsense. But there's a point. There's a point. It ends. In verse 38, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Luke isn't just trying to show us that how he's connected to the first Adam because he's the second Adam. He is the one who's going to set things right. But Luke actually goes one step further, the son of God. Why I think this is so important. Why I think it's so important that he includes it. Because when this dove comes down, this voice is heard, 
my beloved son, with you I am very well pleased. I don't think it's for Jesus. I think it's for us. And then Luke begins to go through, from my perception, every mediocre, every non-essential, every unimportant, perceived unimportant name that's connected in the line of Christ. Can any of you tell me much about it? This, ex- this exhaustive list of individuals? This, these names are here. And if we bumped into them on the streets, we wouldn't know. And we wouldn't care. There are people in that list of whose lives were such where they were very broken. And you wouldn't have imagined it if you were to prepaint a good story instead of royalty and high ideals. We wouldn't have picked certain people who have been in that line, but there they are. That's something well, isn't it a reflection of our humanness and likely a yeah, see, this, this line, I believe, is written to demonstrate our part in it. In eternity past and eternity future. See, the Son of God, if we go back, this breath that is filling the line has been offered to us. The presence of God has been offered to us. And see, I find this, I find this extremely exciting. If you... One thing I love to challenge people to do. Have you ever heard have you ever heard God Himself tell you that He loves you? If you haven't, I really ask you to put some time aside in your life to listen because He's trying to. He just trying to tell you in His own voice to you. I mean, literally, in, 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 in a very vivid, manifest way that God makes himself very, very real to you. I was, I was 28 years old when that question was posed to me. It was simply posed to me. I was asked if I ever heard God speak. And I had a degree in the Bible. I grew up, you know, I, I, I chose to give my life to Christ at a very young age. But at the age of 28, I would tell you, I never heard God's voice. I'd read his words, but I never heard his voice. And this invitation was given to me to sit and to wait and to listen for him. To clear my life of distraction, to sit and to wait. I want you to know that when you hear God speak, your life will never be the same. It'll never be the same. And I think this is exactly the invitation that Jesus is showing us. He wants us to know that we're his loved son, that we're his loved daughter. And that he's pleased with us. See, this is a big struggle I think we all have, isn't it? With you, I'm well pleased. I think many of us can fathom that maybe we're accepted by God. Maybe even we're loved by God. I mean, after all, he's kind of committed to us, so he has to love us. But do you know that he's, when Christ becomes part of our lives, he's pleased with us. It's hard to hear. He's pleased with us. 
It's hard to hear because we start to misinterpret and confuse his creation with our creation. So listen, God's plan, his restorative plan is to send Christ in his restorative work to send us his spirit. Now, when we see Christ and we receive his spirit, God cannot be unpleased. He cannot be not pleased because it's his breath in us that he gives us. And this is where I don't have the passage. Um, I don't have the passage at my at my fingertips. But this is why Paul says, listen, um, the things in my life, you know, the sinful things that I that I keep doing that I don't want to do. That's no, it's no longer I who sin, but it's, it's sin in me. Right. Paul began to understand that there were two things taking place in his life. The regenerative work of Christ and still the sinful nature of himself. But Paul, I think the argument can be made, which I hopefully I'll get to read later. Paul was able to come to come to the conclusion that God's well pleased with me. God is well pleased with me. Because it's his spirit that fills me, his spirit that forgives me, his spirit that makes me whole, his spirit that moves me. It's actually Paul's words who write who writes later on, keep in step with the spirit. Listen and move with him. When we, in our lives, in Christ, when we move and receive the work of God in our lives, God is well pleased. And not, I think sometimes we see these exhaustive lists. And, And the more names that we see on this list in our own sinful nature, we begin to think, well, I'm on the list, but I'm at the bottom of it. Right. Well, at least I made the list, but I don't really play. Right. I made the team, but I don't ever really get playing time. That was like my life story. I was always, always on bas- on the basketball team. I always the 13th guy. Right. I got to practice, and, and, but I never got to play. Get to wear a uniform, never get into the game. <laughs> Other 12 guys in the court at the time? No, it was only 10. Well, five from your team, actually. So you're the third Well, thank you for pointing that out. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate your attention to detail. (laughs) Until it was pointed out to me, Nick, you realize that there are about 50 people who tried out for the team. You realize that you get to play every single day in practice. Do you understand that you're part of a team that you work hard every day to help win? See, I used to only care about when I was playing sports, I only cared about my own stats. How many baskets I made, whether I would get a trophy at the end of the year, whether I was. And when we compare like that we actually forget that we're actually part of the greatest team in all history have you ever noticed that in the world which we live and and this translates into our spiritual understanding and we really need it um take it under the uh the truth of christ 
we tend to think our lives are only as good as the things that we that we did last. Right. That one ministry or that that one salvation moment or or, or that one conversation or that one prayer, or that one contribution. <clears throat> and it, it's almost like you need to keep doing something good. Right. You need you need you need to keep, you know, one upping just to kind of be in the game. Right. Maybe you make that maybe you make that 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 one winning shot. And then every game from then on, you think you need to make every shot that you take. And the enemy comes into us and, and we begin to look at this list. And we begin to look around and we compare constantly at, at who we are rather than who Christ is, what God is doing, what the Spirit's intent is in our lives. Because what's more important is the presence of God. Without the presence of God, there is no power. There's no power to create. There's no power to encourage. There's no power to participate. There's no power to pray. How many of you at some point in your life thought, well, I wish I could do more than just pray? That's straight from the depths of hell, that lie. Oh, I wish I could do more than just pray. It recently came to, came to uh, my memory. <clears throat> you guys know that financially – um, we, we go month to month, right? And, and sometimes, you know, we don't know if we're going to, if we're going to meet the bills, right? Sometimes we miss some payments and, you know, and we're always coming and sharing this financial need. And, and sometimes when that financial need is made, um, and I think we're guilty of it as, as, as most are, we'll celebrate the most recent gift. Oh, we just, you know, thank you so much. We just received a gift, you know, that helped cover all of our expenses, right? And that person who made that gift in the room, you know, can feel, can be tempted to feel like, oh, you know, I'm so glad that I gave that. But it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You can't negate, you can't negate the $2 gift because maybe that was the one that put it over. <laughs> the last gift that was made is just the one that was made on a certain timeline. But if you take away any donation, any gift, guess what? They're all important. Every gift that we make, spiritually, financially, relationally, they're all essential to partner with what God is doing. Turn with me over to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. So Luke presents this moment, which I think is so essential because Jesus is demonstrating the invitation to us and for us. And he concludes in that genealogy before he goes into, uh, into Luke 4, the temptation of Christ, where the Holy Spirit actually leads Jesus into the wilderness. Some of us, I, I just want to point out real quick before I move on. Don't be surprised in your life that when you come to know Jesus, that life doesn't get easier. The moment the Holy Spirit settles on Jesus, he leads him into the wilderness, into the greatest temptations of his life. Don't be surprised that in Christ, 
you're going to be tempted. In Christ, you're going to be wooed. In Christ, Christ, you're going to be you're going to be be called and and distracted. Don't be surprised. And this is because God's presence is not a one-time thing. God's presence isn't 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 a one-time greeting. It's, God's presence isn't isn't a passing on the street. Without his presence, there is no power. If we're moving into these temptations of our life and we're not overcoming them in due time, because I'm going to stand there right with you and say over and over and over again, I fail. But if we're not moving through them and overcoming them in good time, is it possible that we are negating, neglecting God's presence and only wanting his power? So I think we want God's power, but we don't want his presence. And his presence is essential to his power. I just want to read here in Colossians verse, chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul speaks about the son of God. <clears throat> when Luke attaches Jesus to being there at the beginning, we saw it in John 1. We see it in, in Luke 3. And now Paul's talking about it here in Colossians 1, 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. In him, all things hold together. It was always, an, it was an astounding moment in my life when I realized that God watched me and held me and looked on me with, with, with eyes of pleasure. See, in his grace, in his pleasure, he woos us. In his grace, he holds us. In his grace, he waits for us. Always with anticipation and longing. It says in, 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 I believe, first or second Peter, I know Peter wrote it, that God wants no one to perish, but wants everyone to come to the understanding of the eternal life that's offered to them. He's before all things, and in him all things are held together. Can you understand? Can we understand that it's God's grace and his pleasure that holds us together? Right now, he has complete awareness and sight and presence on our lives. Now, his presence in our lives, when we don't acknowledge him, that's called grace. Okay, it's called grace. Because he's still waiting for us, still calling us, still, still inviting us. It's called grace. We don't have to give our lives to Jesus. We don't have to follow him. We can continue to, to go whatever direction we want. He's not going to force his way onto you. And that's called grace. He's waiting. His pleasure is waiting. His pleasure is anticipatory. Is longing. And he holds all things together. Do, you understand, do we understand that 
If God simply looked away from us, you would cease to exist. You would cease to exist. Your, your, your flesh, your bones, your ligaments, your organs, your, your very um, molecular makeup is held together by God's pleasure. That's astounding. You and I are God's favorite creation. You are God's favorite creation. You. You. Yes, all of you. Yes, all of us. But I don't want you to get lost in us. The love and, 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 and the adoration and the pleasure that he has for you specifically is so compelling and so overwhelming. This is actually what's written in the scriptures that we love him because he first loved us. See, if, if we understood the pleasure that he had for us, the intention that he has in holding us together, the intention that, that in which he sent Christ. I think we would start looking for him. Have you ever recognized sometimes how difficult it is to look for Jesus? See, over time, I think we get good at waiting for him and looking for him and understanding where he's going and listening to him and, and he just being still, just enjoying his pleasure. Have you ever been the object of someone's pleasure? Even for just a moment in your life? Maybe a spouse or... Or a significant other, or maybe you don't remember, but maybe it was your mom or dad, right? I bet there's times in your lives, in your life, when when someone had deep, profound pleasure on you, and you were clueless to it. Clueless. I'm sure my son doesn't understand how much I love him, right? I'm sure the girls have no capacity to understand how much mom and dad love them, right? See, the invitation is for us to, to recognize this pleasure and to go where Jesus is, to be compelled to move towards him. See, Jesus went to the cross and moved towards us, and now it's up to us to respond. And I want to share this story where these individuals do. Luke 5, verse 17. <clears throat> I'll pause for Lisa. Luke 5, verse 17. We have this narrative of these individuals who have caught wind of the pleasure of God. They have caught wind of the presence of God. But when we understand the presence of God, we begin to Imagine his power. Let me tell you the story. Verse 17, chapter 5. On one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. This word power in the Greek is, is basically the word dynamite. Verse 18. And behold, some men 
were bringing him on a bed, a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he was lying on, and he went home. <laughs> Glorifying God, an amazement seized all of them. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. See, when we begin to understand the pleasure of God, I think we begin to wanting to be where he is. And we start seeking him. We start looking for him. Whatever's happening in your life, whatever it is that you're experiencing, whatever it is that you're going through, I encourage you to set time aside to look for him. He's not hiding, as we often think so. He's certainly not running the other direction, which sometimes we feel like he is, right? Sometimes we feel like God's playing a hide and seek, like inappropriately. Right? I always think of this, of, of this funny story. <clears throat> when you're young, you play hide-and-seek. Right? I, I think about us, us, us grown-ups. We play hide-and-seek with the kids. The kids go and hide, and we go find them. Right? Mommy, Daddy, I want to play again. Play again. They go hide again. We go find them. Let's play again. Let's play again. Hide-and-seek soon, soon turns into a game of hide. Right? And the kids just stay there, and then we get some grown-up time. Wondering how long they're going to hide. And after a while, our children start to wonder if, if anyone's looking for us. Is anyone actually coming? So I think this is sometimes how we perceive God. As it's not really a game of hide and seek, but it's actually a game of hide. That God's not actually looking for us. But he is. Scriptures tell us that he's pursuing us and he desires us. Right, His pleasure is in us. And these men, they caught wind of this. So much so, they care so much about their, their friend who can't walk. Their friend who, who they've been caring for and sharing life with, laughing or, or <clears throat> playing cards with. Can you imagine that? Right? Playing cards with your, with, with, with your friend who, who can't even hold the cards. Right? You always have someone cheating. These four individuals love their friend. And one of them, if not all, caught wind that this man, Jesus, was in town. 
And the crowds are flocking to him. And so they take their friend. Can you imagine what that conversation was like? Hey, that's, how about we put you, I mean, whose idea was it? <clears throat> was it the, the paralytic? Was it one of the friends? I mean, don't you wish that you were in that room listening to that conversation? Hey, what do you guys want to do today? Well, I heard Jesus is in town. You know, why don't we go, why don't we go help you get healed? Ah, we all laugh, right? Uh, you know, I've been lying here for so, you know, since I was born for so many years now. You know, you jokester. No, no, I'm serious. Well, what day is it? Oh, it's Tuesday. Right, the pizza shop's closed. Okay. What else should we do, right? What was that conversation like? Or was it the paralytic who convinces other friends? Was he so tired of being, of being sick? Was he so tired of not being able to contribute? Was he so tired of, of living in an identity that everywhere he went, people had pity on him? Was he the one that heard Jesus was in town? Was he the one who begged his friends? Listen, guys, one more time. I know we've been to the pool. I know we've gone to this person. I know we've gone here. Right? Maybe his friends were like, just stop. Accept your life. This is who you are. This is who you've become. This is, this is it. And he's like, no. Because there's the pleasure of God wooing in me. I know God's promises. I know God is coming for me. Pick me up. Put me on the mat. And take me to Jesus. I like to believe that's the way it happened. And I don't know who was the aggressor. But I know that there was one. I know that there was one who influenced the others to pick him up and carry him. And when they got there, it wasn't easy. I mean, it, I mean, it's like trying to get tickets to a U2 concert. I don't know. It's like there's people everywhere. I mean, there's been times we won't even go to the grocery store if it's packed. Yeah. Why bother? And they get there and, and, and there's, there's crowds everywhere. There's people everywhere. Well, what should we do now? I told you to bring me to Jesus. <sighs> really? We're really going to do this? Look around. Look at all the people. We can't get into Jesus. How about we wait here until he comes out? No. I want to see Jesus, and I want to see him now. Because God's pleasure has called me. His presence woos me. I want to be where Jesus is. Because only where Jesus is, where his presence is, that's where his power is. And so the conversation re takes place again. Listen, there's no way to get you to Jesus unless we like go up and go through the roof. Ah, what a great idea. Uh, I, I was kidding. Why are you, why are you kidding? Can you imagine this conversation? This is ridiculous. It's humiliating. It's embarrassing. The spirit of God is already at work for you to be this committed to getting to where Jesus is. The spirit of God is already at work. And sure enough, they go up on the roof and they dig through it. They dig through the roof. I'd be, I'd be less concerned about the Pharisees than I, were, than I, I, I would about the litigation that's going to come afterwards. Right. I mean, who's going to pay for this? Who's going to, you know, where's the police? This is, you can't just do this. And they lower him down. I don't know about you, but 
what do you think is the emotional context of this room right now? I think it's one of expectation. Because where the presence of God is, his power is. And so whatever's happening here, all the eyes are on Jesus. All the eyes are on this paralytic man. And Jesus so inappropriately assesses the situation. If you're not picking up on my sarcasm, you will in a minute. He totally misjudges the situation. Your sins are forgiven. This is the most disappointing reality I could imagine. You really think we carried our friend all the way here, dug through the roof so his sins could be forgiven. That even the Pharisees start speaking about it. Boy, Jesus totally misread that situation. As a matter of fact, I think he has a God complex. Only God can forgive sins. Sounds like they're thinking it, like it's in their heart. Um, they don't even say it out loud because Jesus calls Jesus turns around and calls them out about he does. you know what their heart is. Correct. <laughs> Whatever's happening in this moment is profound on in so many ways. Your sins are forgiven. And he confronts the he confronts them, he brings up this self-awareness. Right. Clearly, Jesus has the power of the spirit. Right. He is God. So he understands. Right. But I like to credit just to a simple human self-awareness. I know you all think that only God can forgive sins. You're right. Only God can forgive sins. But so that I can prove to you and demonstrate to you that I am God. I'm going to tell him to pick up his mat and go home. I mean, which is easier? Which is easier to do? Which is easier? It's much easier to say your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Awesome. Right? And Jesus says, take up your mat and go home. And he stands up. He stands up. His friends up on the roof. Him here in this moment stands up and goes home. In this very moment, I think is the invitation to us. Because without the presence of God, we will never understand his power. See, when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, it's his presence and his presence alone that covers that. Only through the work of Jesus, only through his presence and his work are our sins forgiven. And through his power, my friends, we can stand up and walk again. We don't have to, we don't have to live in our, in our fear. We don't have to live in, in, in our regret. We don't have to live in our shame. We don't have to live in, in our comparative nature. We don't have to live as, as, as one name in a long list. We can become and recognize the object of God's pleasure and God's affection and take up that which has carried us and walk out with it and start a whole new life. 
What are you carrying? Or should I say, what's carrying you? What have you been lying on? What's been your platform that you keep going to your friends? Right? I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Maybe it is a temptation in our life. Maybe it is a, a, an obstacle. Maybe it is just something that keeps, keeps reoccurring. If we want the power of God in our lives, friends, we have to return to his presence. His presence and his presence alone is essential to understanding his power.